Look at verse number one of chapter three. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontus Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Eturia, and of the region of Trachonitis, and the Isanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, and he came unto the all, and he came into all the country about Jordan preaching, and we've explained this and preached on this already, but he was preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, and then he goes and he's preaching all of these things, and people come to him to be baptized. Look at verse 7. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, I'm so happy you chose to unite with us. Praise the Lord. You're wonderful. (laughs) Not exactly what he said. Then you get down into verse number 21. Now when all the people were baptized... It came to pass that Jesus also being baptized. Okay, he told them in verse 7 they were vipers. But now Jesus is there to get baptized. I I don't want you to miss the contrast. People came that needed to get right with God. But then God showed up. People that needed to get right with God were professing faith and being baptized. But then God came and got baptized. He didn't just get baptized. He insisted, as we'll see in the book of Matthew, that this specific man had to baptize him. And praying, Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son. In thee. So here's the title. It's amazing. The baptism of Jesus. (laughs) God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. So in our text, John is doing the prophetic work of preaching, and the prophetic work of preaching involves the confrontation of people in order to help them be right with God. It consists of both. The preaching of John consisted of both doctrinal content and practical application, practical confrontation about the direction in which people were living their lives. He addressed the common people. You need to give your coat, if you have two of them, to those who have none. He addressed the tax collectors. You need to stop taking that which you should not and be honest and take only that which you are commanded. He addressed the soldiers. He even called out the political leaders, calling out Herod. It's not lawful that you should have your brother Philip's wife. He confronted people wherever they were, in whatever position they were in, regardless of social standing and regardless of the consequence to him, he confronted them with biblical truth. And his purpose was to prepare people's hearts to receive the Messiah that was shortly to come. He said in verse 16, after they mused in verse 15, are you the Messiah? 
He answered, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And he goes on to describe his judgment and his discernment, and he's making the point that the Messiah is coming, and I am preaching in preparation for him that your hearts would be ready to receive him when he arrives on the scene. And so as people believed his preaching, they submitted to being baptized by him, and the purpose was to acknowledge their agreement with what he was teaching and preaching. Right, so stay with me. I'll move through this as quick as I can. John is preaching a message of being right with God. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go back and explain the phrase, the baptism of repentance, but do not, do not convolute what other texts clearly say because that text says something in a unique way. You are not saved by works, and you are not saved by baptism. Salvation is to produce a change, and baptism is a demonstration of the faith that is in you. And so John is preaching this, and he is confronting people. You're a sinner, and you're a sinner, and you need to change, and you're a sinner before God. I agree with you. I want to be right with God. And so as a demonstration of their faith that in their agreement with God, God is right. I am wrong. I need to be different than what I am. I am submitting to that truth. Then John was baptizing them. They were submitting to being baptized. So the baptism was a demonstration of their faith, and it was a statement of agreement by these people, whether common people, publicans, soldiers, political leaders, religious leaders. It was a statement that we agree with the truth that you are preaching, and our baptism identifies us with the truth that you are preaching. That was the point. So Jesus comes onto the scene, and we're not given the same amount of detail here as we are in other places, but his first public act of ministry was to be baptized by John the Baptist. Look at verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized. Matthew chapter 3, if you would turn there, Matthew chapter 3 Gives a little more detail. Looking in verse number 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water... And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus came to John for baptism. Let me ask you a question. Please answer these two questions out loud. Was Jesus a sinner? Did Jesus need to be saved? Oh, we see in verse number 14 that John did not, he was hesitant, he was resistant to the idea of baptizing Jesus. He didn't want to baptize him. He said, I have need, I have need to be baptized of you. And at this point is made both in Luke and in Matthew, I'm not even worthy to touch this guy's shoes. Like for me to get down in the dirt and to touch his shoe latchet 
is an honor above what I am worthy of. He is so high, and he is so great, and he is so far above me. I'm not worthy to touch the basest part of the clothing on his body. I'm not even worthy to touch his shoelaces or his shoe latchet. Now, that's true. That was true. That was true. But it wasn't the point. (laughs) Then in verse number 15, Jesus insisted on it. Suffer it to be so, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And suffer doesn't mean you're tolerating something really hard here. The idea is to submit to doing what needs to be done. And by baptizing Jesus, it fulfilled what was said about him. And then it also served the purpose by Jesus being baptized by John It was to validate the truth that John was preaching. So get get this statement. By insisting that John baptize him, Jesus was identifying himself with the truth that John was preaching. Okay. Jesus did not need to be saved. Jesus was not a sinner. But by submitting to that baptism, not submitting to it, by insisting on it and John submitting to baptizing him, Jesus was validating the preaching of John, what he's saying about sin, what he's saying about God, what he's saying about the coming Messiah, me, is all true. And I am validating that truth. I am validating his preaching And I am, by baptism, I am identifying myself with the truth that he is preaching. Okay? So then notice what else happens. You see this in verse number 16. And we'll come back to that statement in just a moment. Luke 16, Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You can lose your place there and turn back over to Luke chapter 3 in verse number 21. That Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove unto him. And a voice from heaven which said, thou art my beloved son in thee, I am well pleased. So Jesus is baptized. He goes down into the water. He comes up out of the water. And then something amazing happens. The Spirit of God in the form of a dove comes down upon him. (laughs) Say, why did that happen? Because he's Jesus. (laughs) And then there is a voice from the Eternal Father speaking of the Eternal Son as the Holy Spirit. You know what we have here? We have a picture of the Trinity at work. One God, three persons, all working together to accomplish the purpose of redemption, fulfilling three distinct roles, being completely equal in their divine attributes and nature, but choosing to submit to specific parts of that role, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there comes the Spirit affirming that this is the Messiah. And here comes the voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. All of that affirming that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah that is sent by God. So just to make sure we're connecting the dots, we have a whole lot of affirmation going on right here. Jesus 
is identifying with and affirming the truth that John is preaching. You're like, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's what's the big deal about it. That moments after he was baptized, the Spirit of God comes down and a voice from heaven speaks, affirming that this isn't just a dude getting wet. This is God being baptized. So here's what we can accurately say. God was baptized by John. God in flesh was choosing to identify with what John was teaching and preaching. This prophet in camel skin who ate locusts and wild honey. honey, This prophet confronting sin and declaring righteousness. This prophet that declared when Jesus showed up, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. This prophet was preaching truth that God incarnate came and identified himself with through the mode of baptism. So Jesus' insistence on being baptized by John fulfilled what was said of Jesus and validated the teaching of John. God identified with the teaching of John by insisting that John baptize him. Okay, I'm almost, I'm almost done, then we'll move on. You can't deny that Jesus is God in this text. Say why? Because the Spirit of God came down and heaven spoke. <laughs> okay, I can dunk a basketball. Prove it. I got a problem. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I don't believe that. Here comes the Spirit. And then there's this voice. And they didn't have special effects in those days. Divine effects. No, this is, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You can't deny that this is God. No, I mean you can. But there were people denying that he was God after he raised people from the dead. I mean, you can't deny that he's God. You can't deny, neither can you deny that Jesus as God identified with John's teaching. God, you got to baptize me. What he's teaching and preaching is truth. I'm identifying with it, and therefore I approve of it. So here's the purpose, and we're getting into the application now. We need to make sure that we understand why baptism is relevant, why it matters, and then I want to be sure that you understand why I handle certain situations the way that I do. Number one, let me just give you this thought. Baptism matters. Jesus insisted on it being done to him. And everyone who identifies with him by faith in salvation after that, after he left, was baptized. Look at Acts 2. Peter preached the gospel, preached Jesus Christ. They that gladly received his word, received what word? Received the truth of the gospel that this is indeed the savior of the world, the only solution for sin, the eternal God become man and dying on a cross and rising again and making atonement for our sin for all time. And when they believed that as a demonstration of their, of their identification with that truth, they were baptized. The baptism did not save them. The baptism identified them with the truth that was being preached. Yep. Baptism matters. Jesus insisted on it. It's what's been practiced. 
let me tell you what else matters. When you are baptized matters. Did Jesus need to get saved? No. But you do. <laughs> I, I just, I want to take the time to look through this carefully. Can you, can you turn with me to Acts chapter 8? Acts chapter 8, this is the Philippian jailer, excuse me, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. We'll look at the Philippian jailer next. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, there came un, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now look, it matters that, that is, it matters that that's in the text, and it also matters what comes next. Because not every version includes this. And, and what comes next is not Philip saying, sure, you want to get baptized, get baptized. What's the question? If thou believest, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, commanded the chariots to stand still. They go down. He is baptized in the water. Turn over to Acts chapter 16. Man, I love this. This is good. It's doctrinal, but it's good. Verse 30, and brought them out. The Philippian jailer said to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. Stop right here. You know what you do not see anything, any evidence of? You don't know what he prays. Not a prayer that saves you. Not a prayer that saves you. You know what a prayer is? It's a demonstration of the faith that is in your heart. I, I gave this testimony this morning. I got saved when I was four years old. Hey, how did that happen? Because God is God, and he can work in a 40-year-old, and he can work in the heart of a four-year-old. I don't need you to know how it's possible for me to know that it's possible. Ask me what I prayed. I don't remember the words. I asked Jesus to save me. How'd you do that? However a four-year-old does it, Jesus, will you save me? And ever since that moment, my faith has been not that I went to a church, not that my dad was the pastor, not that I was baptized. My faith has been in the fact that I believed in Jesus. So then this is what we see in verse number 33. And he took them, the jailer took Paul and Silas the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. Do we have enough confidence that Paul would not have violated what was taught in what was demonstrated in Acts 2, what was commanded by Jesus that you need to teach and preach and those that believe you need to baptize, what was demonstrated in Acts 8, that Paul would not have just randomly baptized this guy in hopes that he got it figured it, that he figured it out. So what happened between 32 and 33? He got saved. And then he was baptized. If you, if you get baptized and you're not saved, you're just getting wet. I mean, people will clap and applaud, and everybody's going to feel good, but you're not saved, and so it doesn't matter. No, it's irrelevant. It's like a 13-year-old boy taking a shower. It does no good. He's got to do it over and over and over. Like, I just, I got baptized, I got baptized. It doesn't matter, because baptism isn't what saves you. Jesus saves you. So when you are baptized, matters. Man, I, I love Brother Nate's testimony. 
He's not the only one. He did that, and God's just been working in other people's hearts. We haven't gotten to it yet because of varying factors, but there's more people that have had the same conversation with me. I got baptized, but I wasn't saved, and I've since been saved. I need to get baptized. That's not anything to criticize. Praise the Lord. That's good stuff. Did you notice Brother Nate's still the song leader? Man, I don't know what pastor's going to think. Who cares what I think? Man, people are being right with God. I ought to be excited about that. This is good stuff. And by the way, we ought to be the kind of church that celebrates people making spiritual decisions to be right with God. And it it may bother you sometimes like, well, if them, what about me? Don't think about it that way. God knows your heart just like he knows their heart, and he's able to convict you. And if you need to be right with him in some area, he'll convict you. Stop living in fear. He's a loving father. Now, I came to this conclusion a long time ago. God wants me to be saved more than I even want myself to be saved. God wants my children to be saved more than I even want them to be saved. God will work in you if you need to be saved. But if you realize, man, I just, I just, I was just going through motions. I don't really know why, but I just did it because I did it. But I'm not saved. Man, you got saved. Then you get baptized, praise the Lord. It matters. Number three, how you are baptized matters. <laughs> Matthew, Luke. Acts 8, they all say this. They went down into the water. (laughs) Not. Not baptism. I'm the pastor. Deal with it. It's okay. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's good. Not baptism. It is symbolic of what Jesus did, died, buried, and rose again. You cannot be consistent to what he did. And I'm not mocking anyone. I'm trying to illustrate for you that the biblical baptism paints a very clear picture that it is not sprinkling and it's not pouring. That biblical baptism is going down into the water. Jesus went into the water. He was immersed. The word baptism, its Greek, its Greek root means to be immersed in. To be covered in, just as Jesus was all the way in the tomb. So we go all the way in the water to physically identify the transaction and the transition that has taken place in our hearts. That we were dead without him, but now in him we have risen again to new life by faith in his name. How you're baptized matters. It's immersion. Then it comes to the part that's harder. Who baptizes you matters. Let me ask you this. Did it matter to Jesus who baptized him? Yep. Did. It mattered to Jesus who baptized him. And because it mattered to him, it ought to matter to us who baptized him. Let me me give you some thoughts. The authority to baptize is is not with an individual. Okay, I have authority to baptize because I have the authority of a church. When Jesus gave the command to teach and disciple and baptize, he did not give it. He did not give it to individuals. He gave it to the first church that he had organized in Jerusalem. 
that was made up of his apostles and then others who had believed and were following him. And he said to that church, go out and baptize. I've heard of people saying, you know, my uncle, I went home one time or staying with my uncle or my grandpa, when, and, and they were a preacher somewhere sometime, and so they just baptized me out in their backyard. Not everyone has the authority to baptize. The authority to baptize is transferred through the life of a local New Testament church that is preaching the truth of the word of God. That's where the authority to baptize is. And what, so this is what we need to say, what that church believes matters. Did it matter to Jesus what John believed? By the way, I, just, I don't want anybody being nervous. I'm going to deal with this a little more in just a moment. When it says John the Baptist, it's not referring to a denomination. Look, no, no, no. I'm going to go ahead and say this. I am a Baptist on purpose. But there's a ditch that you can take that into. And I'm, I'm going to address that as well. And, and I've heard people try to stand up and make the case that John was a Baptist the way that the Southern Baptist is the Southern Baptist Convention. No, he wasn't. He was baptizing. And therefore, he was called John the Baptist, the one who is baptizing. But please don't miss this. There was doctrine that he was preaching. There was truth that he was preaching. Historically, you know where the name Baptist comes from in modern history? The term Anabaptist. Look this up. You know what the deal is with that? It's with people who refuse to participate in infant baptism. And Anabaptist eventually developed into Baptist, which is what doctrines, which does not identify in its pure sense the term, you go back to whenever it was, the 1100s, 1300s, whenever it was, the term wasn't meant to identify a denomination. It was meant to identify a doctrinal position. It's about truth. It's about doctrine. By the way, we're not, we're not a denomination. I don't, I don't know who I'm making uncomfortable. Somebody sees this on YouTube and they're like, well, what are you? I Look. I'm not a denomination. I'm a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the name Baptist does not identify a denomination. We are a local body of believers, and we are accountable to no one but the Lord Jesus Christ. And the name Baptist identifies traditionally the doctrines that we adhere to, which can be defined in the Bible and in our Constitution and bylaws. Would you ever care to see them? Here's the challenge. Please stay with me. Here's the challenge. It's possible to genuinely believe in Jesus for salvation, but then to be baptized by someone who does not have the authority or who does not believe the right way about Jesus. <laughs> what do you mean? Churches can be off about their doctrine to varying degrees about what they believe about Jesus. And if a church is off about Jesus, they have no authority to baptize. The authority to baptize came from Jesus validating the baptism of John. And then Jesus transferred that authority through the life of his church. And that has been perpetuated, not in a name, but through doctrine, through truth. 
Let me give you some examples. Pentecostal churches. Many believe that you, not all, but many believe that if you're saved, you'll speak in tongues or that you have to speak in tongues in order to get saved. Does that mean everyone in there believes that? No. Free will, are you ready? Free will Baptist. We had a guy that was coming here for a little while, and he's like, did you know there are no free will Baptists in this area? I'm like, good. We need a free will Baptist church. No, we don't. They went out and tried to start one. Whatever. Praise the Lord. It's none, none of my business. Free will Baptists teach that you can lose your salvation. Then you have the new evangelical non-denom movement. You know what that means? We don't really want to identify with anything. I'm not being critical of individual churches. I'm telling you there is a movement out there that tries to identify themselves without actually identifying themselves. Oh, just, just believe in God and it's all good. Yeah, we believe in Jesus. Well, what about doctrine? We choose not to be divisive. Well, Jesus preached doctrine. The Bible is full of doctrine. It's full of truth. It's full of understanding who Jesus is and what he says is right and is wrong. I don't preach. It's, it's not divisive to preach Jesus. Well, no, it is divisive to preach Jesus Christ. You know why? Because the world wants to reject him. And you can't possibly separate Jesus from the truth that he preaches or teaches. So here's the challenge. Oh, no, wait. I need to go back. Can a person genuinely, authentically trust in Jesus Christ in any one of those churches and be saved? Come on. Oh, this is good. A person can get saved in a Catholic church. A person can get saved. Look, look, I know a guy. He got saved after a couple of Mormons came and knocked on his door. He started reading the Bible, and he's like, thanks for introducing me to this. You're off. I'm going to trust in Jesus the way the Bible says. I mean, it just happens because God does it. You can get saved in a Pentecostal church. You can get saved in some charismatic, neo-evangelical. You can get saved in a Lutheran church. You can get saved in a Methodist church. You can get saved in all kinds of churches. Why? Because it's not the church that saves you. It's Jesus that saves you. And by the way, you can be a member of a Baptist church like this and spend eternity in hell because you're trusting in the church and not in the Savior. It's not the church that saves anybody. It's Jesus Christ that saves. I am, okay, I am not. I was going to come down hard. <laughs> I am not questioning the sincerity of anyone's faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what I am challenging. That not every church that claims his name has his authority to baptize. Because you can't claim his authority while deviating from his doctrine. You can't claim his authority and then deviate from his doctrine. So here's the pastoral challenge. It is my job as a pastor to protect this church and this family and to help us to be as right with God as much as I can. It's not just my job, but it is my job. I believe it'd be good if everybody took this attitude it's my job to help protect this family, protect this church. Here's the truth that I can't help. Baptism matters because Jesus said it does. And not all churches believe the same way. 
I'm going to say this again. John the Baptist was not a Baptist in the sense that he was a part of what we consider a modern denomination. He was not that. He was a prophet of Jehovah preparing the way for the Messiah. And he's called Baptist because he was preaching doctrine and the truth of Jesus Christ and he was baptizing. But then this movement came up in resistance to false teaching about salvation and baptism. And they did, it's just like the term Christian. The term Christian didn't originate with Christians. It originated with the enemies of Christians. They were first called Christians at Antioch. And Baptists were first called Anabaptists, not by themselves, but by the enemies of the doctrine that they believed. And baptism doesn't just identify you with Jesus. Baptism identifies you with the belief system of the church you are baptized in. That is right. Has nothing to do with your sincerity and salvation. It does have to do with this, that baptism not only identifies you with the Savior, it also identifies you with the belief system of the church that you we're baptized in. Now, here's what we all do. We all agree that there are certain baptisms that should not be accepted. I'm going to get through this quick. Pretty sure the invitation is going to be the shortest one ever. <laughs> we all agree that we ought to draw a line. Let me do a little exercise with you. Should we accept Catholic baptism? Should we accept Mormon baptism? Don't answer this out loud. I want you to think with me. What about Nazarene baptism? Did you know that the official doctrinal position, I don't know about individual churches, the individual doctrinal position of the Nazarene church states two things. Number one, in the Nazarene church, infants can be baptized. Number two, the Nazarene church teaches that you can lose your salvation if you don't work after you're saved. And so I have to draw a line somewhere. I have to draw a line over here, or I have to draw a line over here. But somewhere I have to draw a line. But that's not the only factor I have to think about. Then I have to think about this. What if I ask this person to be rebaptized, but this person isn't rebaptized? And I have to think about how everyone's going to process all of that. I'm not whining. I'm just trying to get you to think. It's not exactly an easy situation to navigate. I'm not whining at all. I'm just telling you, you can sit there in your seat thinking only about your personal experience and say, this really isn't that complicated. But then until you look at it from my perspective, and when I'm the one that's going to answer to God for what this church is doctrinally and what we allow in and the who we allow to influence the life and movement of this church family. And, and look, if members begin to come in that don't believe doctrinally as we do, that will eventually turn this church. And it may not happen in your generation, but it will. And baptism is a means by which we can filter out and filter through and make sure everyone is on the same page. And so the question is where to draw the line. And I'm the one that has to answer to God for that, but I ask people at times to be rebaptized. Okay, can I, here's, here's why I've got to be really careful about my attitude. It's not because I think they were insincere. It has nothing to do with the individual. It has to do with the body in which they were baptized. It's not because I question their walk with God. It's not 
And anyone listening on YouTube, get this, please. It's not because I think Baptist churches are the only true churches. Now, I need to have a good attitude right now, but I have been accused and asked about this since I have been here. You're a Baptist brighter. I didn't, I didn't originally know exactly what people were talking about. Here's what's implied by that. Baptist brighter means you think that the only people who are actually a part of the bride of Christ and are going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb are people who have been baptized in a Baptist church, and then everybody else is just going to be sitting on the sidelines pouting, saying, man, I really wish I had gotten baptized in a Baptist church. That's not in the Bible. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. And yet there have been people that have come to me and heard from, and I'm, I'm not calling a church name or church's names, but they have heard from other churches, that is what we are. And there are church leaders saying that without ever having picked up the phone and talked to me about it. Knock it off. You want to know what we believe, I'll have coffee with you. I'll sit down, come and ask me, but stop saying stuff about this congregation that is not true at all. But there are times when I ask people to be rebaptized. And I've asked a lot of people to be rebaptized. I ask for permission to do this. Man, Brother Patrick and Miss Eileen are a blessing. They got saved in a church in California, and so if you get baptized in California, it automatically doesn't count. <laughs> I think California's in the apocalypse. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Look, my, listen, come on. I'm joking. Look, I'm on my last page. I'm just trying to keep you engaged. Oh, Patrick and Eileen, they, Pastor, we want to we meet with you. We want to talk about joining the church. I try to ask every, every person this question. Tell me about your salvation. I mean, I know you're saved. I mean, I, I assume you're saved. <laughs> Tell me about it. Saved. Trusting in Jesus alone. Tell me about your baptism. So they tell me about it. I say, look, here's the deal. I am not questioning your sincerity. But baptism doesn't just identify you with Jesus, it identifies you with where you were baptized, and that is not the kind of church that we are trying to be. And we are trying to protect this church. I, I will stand up and vouch for you. I'm simply asking, would you identify, not, not with Christ, you've done that, but would you identify with the doctrine that we believe comes from Jesus and has been given to us? Would you identify with this church in this way? They had to take some time to think about it. And, but this was great. Miss Eileen, this was her statement. Man, I was sitting there kind of frustrated by this, to whatever degree. And I was reading my Bible, and it was like God said, this is the church you need to be at. And if this is what you need to do, just get on board and do it. Hallelujah. Amen. Have they been a blessing? Amen. You know why? Because of that, that kind of spirit. I could, I could talk about Marjorie Marcham. I could talk about the Acostas. I could talk about over 40 people. None of this is a criticism of the individual. None of it. But please get this statement, and then I'm going to ask you for two things. 
please get this statement. The sincerity of people does not free me from biblical obligation to protect this church and to be right before God. The sincerity of people who called on Jesus in a charismatic church, though they were sincerely saved, that doesn't free me from biblical obligation to protect this church and make sure we are all on the same page. And so, ask. So I'm asking for two things. And I get into even more detail privately, but I'm asking for two things. Number one, if you're considering being a part of this church family and you have questions about this or concerns, can you talk to me before you assume anything, please? I get it how you would be like, eh, that seems kind of different. Yeah, but it doesn't mean it's not biblical or that the motive is wrong. And number two, I ask you for understanding. I'm not going to have you turn there, but Hebrews 13 makes this very clear. Obey them that have the rule over you, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. I stood by Marjorie and I made this statement. This is not a question of her faith or sincerity. But I have to answer to the Lord. And I have asked her to identify with this church in this way. It's not a question of her faith. It's a question of me trying to protect this church. And you know who stands before the Lord one day and answers for West Valley? About this? None of you do. You know who does? I have to. And I'm trying to err on the side of caution. So I have to give an account. So allow me to lead as as I see best before God. And understand that this area is not a clearly defined area. It is, but it's not. Do you get that? Do you get how convoluted denominations have made things today? And look, I understand in a perfect world it's all simple, but it, it can get really convoluted. And so it's not like there's a clearly distinguished line. There's all kinds of places people can draw lines. And I've got to draw a line somewhere to be right with God and to protect this church. So can you, can you allow me... Can you allow me the freedom to do that? And then number two, can you allow me to adjust as I feel I need to? And maybe down the road, I learn something where I say, listen, I need to adjust my approach to this. And I'm even careful about how I say this because there are so many Baptist churches that I would not accept their baptism because they're preaching garbage. And there's, a, there's a Baptist church in the Northeast somewhere that's, that, is over, that is ordaining homosexuality and leadership no look I'm not preaching being mean or nasty I'm just saying that's not biblical and I'm we can't accept things like that we have to distinguish ourselves from things like that so if I if I need to adjust and as I work through this in my own mind and as I wrestle with it understand what I'm trying to do before you become critical of the motive and then last of all, if what you are getting here is worth being here, then don't let something like that stand in the way of it. Brother Patrick, was it kind of weird at first when we were first talking about it? <laughs> Has your family benefited from being here? 
Is there a difference between 100% agreement and knowing that you did the right thing? Did you do the right thing? And here we are, praise the Lord. Father, I, don't, I honestly, I was thinking about it in the office. In the office. I, don't, I don't know what to do with this invitation. And God, I'm, I'm going to be very transparent with your people right now in my prayer to you. I, I, I've told Andrea this, Lord, I've told you this. When it comes to people joining West Valley, I hate this conversation personally. Because it can be, it can, it can just be weird sometimes. And yet, God, I don't feel like when I look into your word and I've tried to show your people some of the things that I've had to consider in my own journey, in my own wrestling with this, I can't just say whatever works because whatever doesn't work and yet I cannot clearly say and I don't want to go into the ditch on the other side of the road which says that it's only this and this and this and nothing else pleases God God I'm trying so hard to stay out of both of those ditches and so I'm just I'm asking you father I'm asking you would you please help our church to be united Help our church to continue to give me the freedom and the latitude to lead and help people that are considering to come. Some, some will just join, like we had a couple Sundays ago. Others, I'll ask to be rebaptized for various reasons. And God, I pray that there would be no spirit of division. I pray that there would be no spirit of contention, but that in unity we would understand we're trying to be on the same page together, and we're trying to follow the Lord Jesus Christ together. So would you help me with that, Father? Would you help our people? I think, man, our, I think our church family would say, we've been blessed to be here. So Lord, help us not to lose that, and help us to defend it, and help us to protect it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. Brother Nate, let's sing a verse. If you feel like you need to come and pray, then you do that. And if not... Just sing it out to the Lord. Have thine own way.